Hey, good morning. How are y'all? Did y'all have a good week? No? Not at all, huh? All right. I have good news. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're glad that y'all are here, and uh, we're continuing on in a sermon series about uh, Practice Makes Perfect. And over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about some of the practices of our faith and how we would make use of them. And it, uh, it seems like an elementary idea or something too basic or absurd because many times when people think about faith, uh, they think it's something either they have or they don't have. And uh, they look at people who have a strong prayer life or they've studied the scriptures or they donate thousands and thousands of volunteer hours over their lifetime and they think, well, that person is just made differently or they're gifted differently. And um, they miss the fact that much of it has to do with how we practice it, how we make use of it. How do we start and begin and build in terms of being people who are growing and practicing our faith? And um, I once heard the story about the famous uh, civil rights activist Rosa Parks. You remember her? She sat in the bus seat and protested the racism that was coming against her people. And the story that I heard was that this is something that her group, her group of people at the church, actually practiced. Uh, that they would, you know, kind of pretend. They would act like this is what we're going to do when we face situations where we're being treated unfairly. And they would practice their faith so that when the moment came, that moment, that point of decision, when Rosa had to either sit there or move, she knew how to do it. She had practiced it to the point where she was ready for that moment. And that's what I had in mind when I put the series together. And we've talked about generosity. We've talked about obedience. We've talked about practicing grace. And uh, today, we are going to look at um, how do we continue on in these, these things? How do we, if we have a particular practice that we're trying to get better at, if we are trying to improve in any of the variety of things that we might be trying to grow in, how would we continue to do that? And, and how can we fix that? Because, you know, over my lifetime as a pastor, in my experience as a pastor, I have seen people that had really good intentions. Um, you know, they go on a retreat or they go to hear a great speaker or whatever, and they get all kinds of fired up about serving Jesus. And then, you know, over time, it just begins to fade. Or, you know, they are people who um, really would like to become better, but they don't know what the steps are. And so it's just a good thing for us to take a moment to talk about that. And when I think about uh, our journey of faith, um, there are a couple things that I have seen happen over and over again. Um, when we talk about practicing our faith, um, you know, you think about what it is you're trying to improve upon. It may be keeping a Sabbath, making it to worship each week. It might be, you know, evangelism. It might be, I need to be better at sharing my faith with other people. Um, I need to be better at my yes being my yes and my no being my no. Um, it could be a matter of things like the, you know, the practice of hospitality, being nicer to people when they come over to your house. I don't know, how do you go to practice hospitality? Uh, it could be, you know, how you care for your body. You know, Paul said your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. How are you caring for it? Uh, it could be discernment. You know, we are faced daily with decision after decision about what we're going to do. What's the next best job? What's the next best thing that I can do? Uh, discernment is a good practice. It'd be simple things like forgiveness or generosity, whatever the case might be. 
Um, and you can think to yourself, what is it that I need to improve upon? What do I really want to see grow in my life? What is it that God would like to see changed in my life? That's probably the best question you could put before today. And um, I know, I know, I know, I know that we are not even at Thanksgiving yet, and this sounds a whole lot like a New Year's resolution sermon, but I made a resolution not to do New Year's resolution sermons, and so today's a good day for me, right? <laughs> but, but how would we, we go about doing that? And my, my experience is that when it comes to people practicing their faith, trying to improve, the two main things that derail them that keep them from being consistent or growing in their faith, uh, the two main things are something that happens all the time in our lives. And the two main tests of our faith and our hearts is our success and our failures. That when it comes to why did we quit coming to church? Why did we quit praying? Why did we not read the scriptures the way we thought we ought to? Many times it comes down to I experienced this tragedy, I experienced this failure, or it could be a matter of I reached a point of success and I didn't really think that I needed to do those practices anymore. That's kind of where I, I see people struggle the most. And the, the first one is, is pretty obvious, you know, when people have moments of failure, like they had a practice, they said, I'm going to get better at reading my scripture daily, and so they, they sat down every morning and they began to read the Bible piece by piece. And they, they love Genesis, they love Exodus, they kind of made their way through Leviticus, and they get to Numbers, and they're like, no, I can't. Numbers is just not a good book, right? And then they quit, and they're like, ah, I failed, so why go back to it? Or it could be something more along the terms of their life, you know, something happens, they make a mistake, they, they have a sin in their life that comes out of hand, it becomes unmanageable, and so they, they wander away from their faith. They quit going to church. They don't spend time with their Christian friends, whatever the case might be, and they go back away from that. The other part of that is um, success. And probably the, one of the better biblical stories that you can find in terms of that happening would be with uh, King David. I mean, he is a lowly shepherd boy, and he has huge success against the giant, becomes king, and uh, he begins to start believing his own press of how great a person he is, doesn't listen to anybody, doesn't listen to the prophet Nathan, ignores all the good advice, all the people that are around him, and has a humongous moral failure that costs him. God forgives him, but he can't make the consequences of his actions go away. You know? And success can be just as dangerous when it comes to practicing our faith as well. Now, um, when we think about how do we fix that, how do we correct it, the, uh, the verse that I thought was really instructional in terms of, you know, kind of guiding this, and we'll talk about 2 Corinthians in a moment, but um, you probably heard this. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know this verse pretty well, um, but just to read it for you, Proverbs chapter 3 uh, says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Know him in all your paths, and he will keep your ways straight. Don't consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then your body will be healthy and your bones strengthened. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Don't reject the instruction of the Lord, my son. Don't despise his correction. And it's a powerful verse because it reminds us and it says all that we have, all that we've been given is, is from God. 
and that our call as a faithful people is to trust God in all that we do and in our way of life. That at no point do we look at our success and we say, it's because I'm wise, it's because I've achieved these things, it's because I deserve it, but rather we continue to say, we're going to trust in God, whether we are successful or whether we have moments of failure. And even in that end of that proverb, you remember he said, what, don't despise the Lord's correction, don't despise the Lord's discipline. That in the good times or the bad, we both look to those and we look to God and we say, I'm going to continue to trust. I'm going to continue to look for God's wisdom in each and every moment of my life. I'm going to continue to move forward trusting in what God has promised he's going to bring about. And that we don't let success or failure move us away from trusting in who God is. And even in those times of discipline or correction. And discipline and correction... We don't like it. We don't prefer it. Um, and when we think about, you know, just the simple act of a parent-child relationship, when a parent corrects their child, they don't usually like it. We don't like it when our friends or our neighbors correct us on things. Uh, but there's far worse in our lives than feeling momentarily bad for something that we need to correct, right? And um, one of the realities that we find in the scriptures is that um, it doesn't all end in Proverbs, but rather you get on into the New Testament and you've got people that are in need of uh, their lives being adjusted and their lives changing. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul addresses the church in Corinth. And if you're familiar with the letter, they've got all kinds of issues. They've got all kinds of problems uh, from moral to sexual to everything that they could, you can imagine. Uh, you look back and you say things are worse today than they ever were. Well, go back and read Corinthians and you'll be fascinated by the fact that these are a people that had all kinds of problems and issues as well. And uh, when Paul speaks to them, uh, he is correcting them. He's helping them see what their problems are and they're not happy about it. They're even in favor of a rival group of people that have come in and they've said, you don't need to listen to Paul. And they're like, yeah, well, all Paul does is tell us that we're wrong and we messed up. So we'll listen to you. Sounds better. And uh, Paul writes them, and he, he says um, in chapter 13, This is the third time that I'm coming to, you, coming to visit you. Every matter is settled on the evidence of two or three witnesses. When I was with you in my second visit, I already warned those who continue to sin. Now I'm repeating that warning to all the rest of you. While I am at a safe distance, if I come again, I won't spare anyone. Since you are demanding proof that Christ speaks through me, Christ isn't weak in dealing with you, but shows his power among you. Certainly he was crucified because of weakness, but he also lives by the power of God. Certainly we also are weak in him, but we will live together with him because of the Lord's, God's power that is directed towards you. And so Paul has said, I'm going to come visit you for the third time. And this issue that we've had, this matter that we've been struggling against each other on in terms of letters and exchanging communication, we're going to get this solved. He says, I've, you know, I've already been there twice, third time, we're going to get this right. And then he gives some careful instruction uh, to these disciples, these followers of Jesus. Uh, the first instruction that he gives them is examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you understand that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. But I hope that you will realize that we don't fail the test. We pray to God that you don't do anything wrong, not because we want to appear to pass the test, 
but so that you might do the right thing, even if we appear to fail. So the first instruction that he gives these disciples, these people who he wants to see succeed and thrive as disciples of Jesus Christ, is what? Examine yourselves. It's a really a powerful statement to think about. He's saying, examine yourselves. Look within yourselves. You know, all along the way, these other disciples have said, he's not a real apostle. He's not a good teacher. You don't need to listen to them. And Paul says, the proof of what I'm doing is in you, right? How you're living, how your lives have changed. And he says, just look within yourselves. Examine yourselves. And that's such an important thing for us to do examine ourselves on at least a, a daily basis. Look within our hearts and see how things are between us and God. Now, here's the tricky part, folks. One of the gifts that we find within our Bibles is an ongoing story between God and His people. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, one of the gifts, one of the greatest things about it is that when the people have a hard time, when they're struggling, when things aren't going their way, one of the things that they always do in the Old Testament, at least the people of Israel, is that they ask the hard question. They say, Lord, what did I do wrong? What did I do that put me in this spot? And it's such a, a beautiful gift because you look at our culture today and when things go wrong, people look to the heavens and they go, God, why did you curse me? Why did you fail me? Right? God messed up. God abandoned us. God doesn't exist. And the Hebrew people, people of Israel, when they were on their game, they always asked the questions of, how did I mess up? What was my part in this? What was my mistake? Surely there was some sin I committed that put me in this spot. I'll just kind of give you an exaggerated example. Like I've shared with you all before, like I am hands down one of the worst people at being sick. You know, like I get a cold and I'm pretty sure it's fatal, right? And, uh, and I know that when I've had the flu or food poisoning or something in the past, did you all do this? Like when you're on your, you're on your sick bed and you, you begin to think to yourself, what did I do wrong? And I always start praying in King James English for whatever reason. You know, like, why God hast thou forsaken me? What didith I eateth that has caused this, this dilemma, right? You know, and it's such a healthy thing, though, because, you know, it reminds us. We, we examine ourselves, examine our hearts, and ask those questions of, what am I not doing that God has called me to do? Where did I, what mistake did I make? You know, some things are just natural. Some things you can't avoid. Temptation is real. The powers of evil are real. But at the end of the day, you also have to give careful consideration of that. And just ask yourself the question of, what mistake have I made? What, what, what put me in this spot? And how could I avoid repeating it in the future? And so Paul says, examine yourself. And I would encourage you to do that on a daily basis, you know? And um, I was uh, particularly fascinated uh, when I thought about this idea of a daily exam, daily thing that's, that's been practiced for thousands of years by Christians, um, is the, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld, love his comedy. Uh, his show, still kind of funny, right? And um, 
when I, when I looked at his life and they just said, you know, what was the difference? What, what put you from a place where you were unknown to a place where so many people know who you are and, and enjoy your comedy? And he said, when I was broke and young as a comedian, I got myself a paper calendar. And every day, um, I would make myself a commitment to write one joke a day. And if I wrote a joke, good or bad, I would give myself a check mark. And if I didn't, I would give myself an X, right? And um, that's how he built his career. He would build joke by joke, piece by piece, day by day, to where he had an entire comedy set, and he became really successful. There was probably other people at his time who were more talented, more gifted, uh, who were probably looking for the right inspiration to sit down and write jokes, or a good day, or good weather, or whatever the case might be. And each day, Seinfeld would say the simple question, did I do what I was supposed to? Did I write the joke? You know? Yes? No. I really love this idea so much, I made my own calendar. And if the AV people are on their game, there's going to be a picture up there. It looks like they have checked out in the back. <laughs> Y'all got a picture back there? There we go. Here's the calendar I made for 10 bucks at Hobby Lobby. A little bit of a glue gun and some magnets. I don't know if y'all can see it very well or not. But uh, on there, I have a turtle. And um, on my calendar, I have my checks and my, my X's. And um, every day that I ate well, exercised, and did my devotion, gave myself a check, right? And uh, the days that I didn't, X, right? And uh, it was so, it seems so ridiculously simple, right? But uh, there were days where my wife would come home and she would say, we don't have a dinner plan, let's go to, out to eat, right? Go get some pizza, what have you. And I would, I would talk back to her on my good days and I would say, no, the turtle must move, right? <laughs> and it, it seems so silly, right? But my, my gym had this contest for weight loss and I won because the turtle had to move, right? each and every day. And when you think about your habits and the practice of your faith, it's the same thing. You get yourself a paper calendar or use Google Calendar, whatever you like, and just start tracking it. Uh, certainly we aren't the first people to think of this. John Wesley, when he died, um, he, they found his journal and it had a bunch of odd scribbling in it. And it was uh, many years later that the scholars looked at it and they, they began to figure out what it was. And John Wesley had this practice of um, tracking his spiritual uh, health. You know, like around noon, he would kind of like take his pulse, doing pretty good, you know? Five o'clock traffic, not so good, right? And uh, he would just track it and journal it and see how things were going. So I think you'll get the idea. Um, so that's Paul's first uh, suggestion to them, suggestion to you as well. How are you examining your life each and every day is the turtle moving? Is your, your life progressing? Are you growing in your faith? Because, brothers and sisters, time flies. You know, we'll, we'll turn around. It will be New Year's not too long from now. Time moves on quickly, and if you're not intentional about it, if you're not trying to make an effort toward growing in your faith, then it, it won't just happen. Okay. And the other piece of this that Paul uh, speaks to them, he says, we pray to God that you don't do anything wrong not because we want to appear to pass the test, but so that you might do the right thing, even if we appear to fail. 
We can't do anything against truth, but only help the truth. We are happy when we are weak, but you are strong. We pray for this, that you will be made complete. That is why I'm writing these things within, uh, while I'm away. I'm writing so that I won't need to act harshly when I'm with you. By using the authority that God gave me, he gave it to me so that I could build you up, not tear you down. And so once again, Paul is writing to them. It's not a happy letter. It's not a friendly letter. But he expresses it. He says, I, I want you to be complete. Another way that we talk about this is we, we want every Christian, new or old, to continue to move toward being complete in Christ, to having the fullness of God within them, that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. I mean, that is our prayer for each of you, that you are growing in Christ, that you are becoming more and more complete and perfect in Christ. And Paul says, examine yourself daily, and he says, and don't do wrong. Seems so simple. It seems somehow unattainable for many people, but the truth is that as we practice it, as we work at this, as we trust in God to help us with each and every aspect of our life, it works and it changes, and we get to see the grace of God doing great and mighty things within each of us. So let us pray. Most Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is continuing to work within us and in our lives. I pray in this time that you would uh, help us to see more clearly what it is that you might have us to do in the upcoming weeks. What is it that we could uh, put into practice so that we might grow in our love for you and grow in our love for other people? Do we need to pray more? Do we need to read scripture more often? Do we need to forgive somebody? Is there somebody that we need to invite and, and show kindness to? Uh, whatever the case is, Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us to be faithful, to trust that through you and by your power, our lives and our world can be transformed, and that one day, Lord, you will return, and that we will stand before you, and we will hear those powerful words of well done.